Grace and peace to you, and welcome to Faith Lutheran Church. My name is Candace Wassell. I'm the pastor here at Faith. It is such a joy to have you visit with us. You are welcome, so welcome in every part of Faith's community. You are welcome to join us in person at worship on Sundays. You're welcome to visit us online. You're welcome in our mission and our fellowship, and most important, you are welcome at the Lord's table. May our prayers come before you, O God, as incense, and may your presence surround and fill us so that in union with all creation, we might sing your praise and your love in our lives. Amen. Well, grace to you and peace from God our Creator and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. We continue this week with our Lenten sermon series for these midweeks, from ashes to Easter, stories of resurrection, and what those stories have for us in the way of hope in the here and now. And tonight we'll be talking about Lazarus. And so it is once again a long reading. Lazarus' story is a long one to be found in John. So I'm going to read it in three parts throughout the sermon. This first part of Lazarus' resurrection story is from John, the 11th chapter, verses 1 through 6. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory, so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after hurting after hearing that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you, and you are going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble because they see the light of this world but those who walk at night stumble because the light is not in them. After saying this, he told them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to awaken him. The disciples said to them, said to him rather, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will be all right. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death, but they thought that he was referring merely to sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But now let us go to him. Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us go also, that we may die with him. So things seem pretty bleak at this point. Disciples are distraught and seem especially bleak if you don't know the end of the story like we do. That Lazarus will experience resurrection of his body when Jesus comes and calls him out of the tomb after having laid there for four days dead. But there will be hidden at the end of this story about Lazarus just a little hint that this isn't just about his literal death and resurrection. Jesus says something very simple at the end of this story. And... 
Sometimes we forget it, and sometimes we don't even hear it, but it tells us that Jesus is up to something more with Lazarus, and he's up to something more with us. But before I get into all of that, let me share a seemingly unrelated cautionary tale. Easter Island is home to the famous Moai monoliths, these guys right here. Giant human figures, each about 12 tons and 13 feet tall. They were carved by the Rapa Nui people on this remote Polynesian island some 700 years ago. And hundreds of them, hundreds of them were carved in the island's giant stone quarry and then hauled to the far edges of uh, the island's perimeter, all around it, almost as if they are standing guard waiting for war. Or maybe, maybe you could see these as welcoming statues. Maybe they were signs of life to wayfaring strangers. No one knows their purposes. It has been lost to history because there are no Rapa Nui people on Easter Island left to tell the story. In fact, there's hardly anything on Rapa Nui. No animals, no farmable soil, no edible vegetation, and most importantly, no trees. No trees. It seems that once the Rapa Nui people started carving these statues, they just couldn't stop, as evidenced by the dozens and dozens of, of statues still in the quarry waiting to be transported to their spot on the perimeter. Now, in order to transport these statues, the people obsessively cut down all these giant old-growth trees so that they could lay them on their sides and line them up and then roll these giant statues to the perimeter. But they got so wrapped up in making these statues and transporting them that they forgot about their true vocation as subsistence farmers. That's what Polynesians did once they got to an island. Too late they realized that the absence of trees allowed the ocean winds to carry off the nutrient-rich topsoil. And within just a few generations, the once thriving society collapsed. Nothing could grow there. No animals could survive without vegetation, and birds ceased flying to Easter Island to find shelter in trees because there were none there, and the surrounding waters were fished to oblivion because that's all they had left. And all that remains, once the last person perished, are these lifeless statues, monuments to the cost of forsaking vocation and getting wrapped up instead in idle, fruitless, worldly pursuits. And now the second part of Lazarus' story from John 11. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she said to him, she went and met with him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. 
Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Martha said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. And when she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary get up and quickly go out, and they followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Mary came where Jesus was and saw him. She knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping. He was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of a blind man have kept this man from dying? So it's not just Lazarus that this story is about. It's about Martha and Mary, his sisters. They play a huge role. This is the Martha and Mary of sibling rivalry fame. Remember that in Luke's gospel, Martha tattles on Mary because she's the one who has to do all the work in the house to prepare for Jesus' arrival. And her sister is just sitting at the feet of Jesus and soaking up the words of her favorite teacher, doing nothing. But let me tell you this story in more modern terms. Eighteen years ago, when my little family was stationed at Malmstrom Air Force Base in Montana, we lived across the street from Paul and Debbie Good. They were about ten years older than us, but they had their only child, Samuel, was the same age as my only child at the time, Garrett. Both little boys were three, and so even though we didn't have much in common, Debbie and I became really good friends. And the boys got to be best friends, naturally, and as I said, we didn't have a whole lot in common. Debbie was a great baker. I was still learning how to boil water at 20, you know. Debbie was a nurse. I was still working on college. Debbie was also an older, calmer mother, and I was a younger, less calm mother. While Debbie was teaching Samuel his ABCs in Spanish, I was just trying to get Garrett to sleep through the night at 3. Jealousy and insecurity started creeping into me pretty quickly, and it took over completely one afternoon when Debbie came over to chat. <laughs> Try to get through the story. We, we were standing in the living room uh, talking, and she's got Samuel there, and she's telling me all about his Spanish lessons. And just as she's telling me that, Garrett <laughs> comes streaking through the living room, totally naked, with the bathroom rug wrapped around his head so he couldn't see, and he runs <laughs> blindly into a wall in front of him and bounces off and falls on the floor. And it <laughs> I laugh now, but at the time I was just so horrified. Um, and it, it pretty much, that was it for me. That was it. I was just embarrassed and... I basically took that rug and wrapped it around my heart and shut Debbie out. I backed away from the friendship 
not just between Debbie and I, but the worst part was is I backed off the relationship for Garrett and Samuel. I let go of the vocation of being a friend and a little bit of being a mother and the fellowship that God had blessed me with in that place. I was insecure. That is Lazarus' sisters, Martha and Mary. I think Martha has insecurities, probably jealousies, about Mary's more mature and focused spiritual life and faith. Why else does she send for Mary when she hasn't gotten through to Jesus? Well, maybe he'll listen to Mary. And uh, she had gotten herself so wrapped up in these feelings that she came close to killing her relationship with Mary and Jesus. But back to Lazarus. Back to Lazarus in the final part of this story, John 11, 38, 44. Remember how I told you at the start of this sermon that there is a little detail at the end of this story that tells us that this just isn't about simply a literal death and resurrection. So listen for that detail. Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Mary, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Unbind him. It is a special word. Unwrap him, Jesus is saying. Unwrap him. He is alive, but still wrapped up in something. Wrapped up in something that was still holding him back from life, from joy, from peace, from his ability to move forward to Jesus. Maybe it had something to do with what he was wrapped up in in life. Who knows? He's still wrapped up in it, and Jesus has to command that he be unbound. He is wrapped up, wrapped up like the Rapa Nui who were wrapped up in pursuing earthly treasures and glory, wrapped up like Martha was in jealousy, wrapped up like I was in insecurity, wrapped up and needing resurrection still, even though he was alive and moving around. Have you ever been alive and moving around and completely wrapped up still? There's physical death, and then there is spiritual death, and Jesus brings resurrection to both. Now, what does that look like? So after retreating from Debbie for months and months, I got really sick, really sick. And my family was a million miles away in Illinois, and my husband was out in the missile field, And I was all alone with a little boy. But somehow, word got to Debbie, my nurse 
neighbor that I was sick. And even though I had shut the door, she opened it. You could say she unsealed the tomb. She showed up at my house. She helped me. She took care of Garrett. She brought Samuel back. Every act of kindness was a taste of forgiveness I did not deserve. And her mercy worked to unwrap my bound-up, insecure heart. Brothers and sisters, it is so with the mercy and forgiveness we find in Jesus. May it be so for any of us who are disconnected from our vocations, even just a little bit as parents, as friends, as neighbors. May it be so for any of us who are so utterly wrapped up by the distractions of worldly pursuits. May it be so for any of us who need Jesus to look into our lives and say, unbind her, unbind him, let them go. Resurrection belongs to those who are in Jesus Christ. It belongs to you. Amen. The most valuable message we have to share at Faith is the promise we have in Jesus. We come together every Sunday to share this good news in the reading of Scripture and sharing of Holy Communion. It is these two acts of worship that we learn of the forgiveness, peace, and joy that Jesus has won for us on the cross. These gifts also belong to you, and we hope you will feel welcome to receive them. After we've shared worship together, we trust that we are ready to be sent out into the world to serve our neighbor, and you're welcome to join us in that great work as well. There are so many opportunities at Faith to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. It's what we feel called to do. It's what we're passionate about. Above all, I want to encourage you in your faith. No matter where you're at in your journey with Christ, you are welcome to visit Faith as often as you are able. But whatever you do, keep searching. There is a church family set aside just for you. And I trust the Holy Spirit will place you right where you need to be.